Today's scripture is from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent into the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as Chad said, I normally have the privilege of serving with the first and second graders. And so I know there are some parents in here who may be saying, who's teaching those kids right now? We love that. It is a joy to look those little ones in the eye knowing that one day they will grow up, Lord willing, they will help lead the church and they may attend our funerals. It is a, it's a real thing. No, it is an incredible privilege and we're thrilled to be a part of this church and love getting to know so many of you and especially to be able to open the word of God with you today. If you do have your copy of God's word, open it or keep it still open to Matthew chapter 25. By way of introduction, back in 2009, the rise of cryptocurrency started to gain traction. And in 2010, the first transaction of Bitcoin took place with the purchase of two pizzas, Papa John's, Louisville, we appreciate that, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Now, some of you, that means something too. Others of you, it means nothing too. But that's approximately today's value, $120 million that took place in that transaction. Don't you wish you had purchased back then? Missed opportunity is hard to deal with. 
And sometimes you glance in the rearview mirror of life and you see things where there was a chance where you had to do something and you missed it. You let it go. You could have made an investment. You could have made a purchase. You could have been a part of a conversation and you didn't know at the time the value that it would have had and you let it pass by. It was years ago, back in 2001, when my fiance at the time, my wife Sky now, my fiance at that time, were at her parents' house in the mountains of Yosemite National Forest. Her family actually lived in the forest, had a house, the backyard, no fences. I mean, every animal that's in Yosemite walked through the backyard at one point or the other. One other house down the road. We had just gotten engaged. We were at her parents' house celebrating, talking about all the excitement of it when we heard a scream and a lady come running down the road and bang on the door, beg for help. Well, all of us in the house ran down this dirt trail to this other house that was not too far down the road. And on the ground in front of the house was a man named Donnie in full cardiac arrest. He had been up there visiting other friends of his and started raking leaves and didn't realize the condition of his own heart and began having a heart attack. Well, we jumped into action as we could, and there's no cell phone reception. You're way on the mountains. There's nowhere to land a helicopter. All you can do is try to find a working landline and call paramedics, knowing that they're 20, 30, 40 minutes away. So we started doing CPR. I did the chest compressions. This girl I'd never met before leans over and starts doing the breathing, breathing into his lungs, and I'm pounding on his chest, trying everything we can to get life in this man, keep it in this man. Well, if you've ever been in those situations, you know that there's a death rattle that someone sometimes exhales and you know that the end is here. But for the sake of the family and things going on, we kept up the CPR for a long time. In the middle of all the chaos, all the noise, everything going on, this girl I've never met before, never seen before, looks at me and she says, I don't know where he's going. Again, those words mean nothing to most people. But if you have a spiritual context, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if your home is in heaven and you know where you will leave Louisville and go to, there's no question where you're going. But for that woman in that moment, she said that statement that froze in the air. A few hours later, we were at the hospital. Donnie had passed away. We're there with this gal and we learned that she had known him for many years. And her statement in that moment was a grief and a reflection on the many times she let the gospel opportunity go by and not say a word. Missed opportunity will haunt you for life, especially one like that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is speaking to us about the end times. He's talking to us about the timing of his return. He's speaking to the disciples specifically and they're looking at him with this big question of saying, Lord, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? In fact, five times throughout chapter 24 and 25, they say, when are you coming back? And he states to them, no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows, you do not know. I'm not telling you the day or the hour. Over and over again, he says, be on alert, be on alert. And when we come into chapter 25, there's two parables that are given, one about 10 virgins and the one that we're gonna dig into today. The first one is an incredible lesson on waiting. What he's saying in verses one, death through verse 13 of Matthew 25, is the kingdom of God is coming. Christ is going to return. He will see you, you will see him, but you need to wait, be patient. It's not today, it's not tomorrow, it's not in the near future as he's telling the disciples. It's going to happen, but you need to be patient and wait. 
There's a great lesson in that for us. We need to wait patiently on the Lord. We learn that every day. You pull to a red light and you learn to wait patiently on the Lord. You work through parenting issues, you learn to wait patiently on the Lord. You work through any situation in life, we learn to wait. But his lesson to the disciples is wait, wait, wait expectantly, wait earnestly, wait eagerly, have in you a joy and excitement knowing that Christ will return and you will see him, but wait. He then turns into the second parable in chapter 25, the one that's gonna captivate our attention for today. And as you heard it read, it's a parable that has some interesting components to it, some things you don't expect, but it's a parable about a man who goes on a journey. He says, verse 14, it's a man who goes on a journey. Now think about this. In a journey in this context was years in length. Yesterday morning, I woke up in Florida for work. I'm here today in Louisville and very soon I'm gonna be in California. Those are things that we do in hours that took them years to accomplish. This man in the story that Jesus is telling is saying, I'm going away for a long period of time. I will return, but I'm not telling you when. He takes everything that he owns and he gathers around him his slaves. Now that word is incredible and you gotta understand, and I trust you do, but the word slave in the Bible as Christ uses it is one of the most incredible descriptions of a Christian that we are broken free from sin's mastery. We're no longer slaves to sins, but as Paul says in Romans 6, we are slaves to Christ. He is our master, Lord over us. He reigns over us, and we have the joyful, humble ser- opportunity to serve him daily. It's an incredible word. It's our identity. He gathers around him his slaves, and the context here, these are the stewards of his household. These are the managers of his wealth. These are the business leaders that he has has surrounded himself with and brought closest to him. And the word in verse 14 says, he entrusts his possessions to them. He entrusted, he has total confidence in them. You notice he doesn't give them rules for investment. He doesn't give them timelines. He doesn't show them where to take it or what to do with it. It simply says that he calls his slaves to himself and he entrusts his possessions to them. He hands over everything he has and walks away. That's a high level of trust in people. That's a high level of trust of those that he surrounded himself with. We see the giver, verse 14. Look at the, look at the gifts that he gives in verse 15. Look at what he entrusts them with. He gives one five talents, another two talents, and to the last one he gives one talent. Now the word talent's fascinating. That's a word for weight. It means a measure of something. It could be a talent of gold, talent of silver, a talent of rocks, a talent of feathers, who knows? It doesn't tell us what it's composed of. It just says it's a talent, which we know is a known weight. Really the point Christ wants us to have on our minds is not the value of this and not really even the quantity of it, but what the slaves do with it. He wants us to focus on, Christ wants us to focus on what these individuals do with it. But catch the, how verse 15 ends. It says, he gives these talents each according to their own ability. The master knows who he's speaking to. He has an intimate relationship with them. He understands who they are and he gives to them exactly what their character can handle. He knows their composition. He knows how they've been designed and what they're gifted at, and what they're good at. And he gives to them the measure that they can be responsible with. It's fascinating because that's exactly how God works with us. He knows our frame. He designed us. He knows that we are weak in areas. He knows that we're strong in areas. He knows our personalities and everything that we're comprised of. 
is different for each person. And so we have a different gifting and different capacity, different responsibilities, and that's fine. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those slaves and I'm sitting there watching that guy get five and that guy get two and I get one, there's a little bit of tension that builds up in your heart. I've got three middle school daughters. You can pray for us. Three middle school daughters. We have twin eighth graders and a sixth grader. And every once in a while, my wife and I will bring home that fabulously perfect box of Krispy Kreme donuts. You put that in the middle of the table and someone may end up with more than others. But if I take that box of donuts and I hand out five to one daughter, two to another daughter, and one to another daughter, what kind of looks am I going to get? You see a little bit of tension developing there. Absolutely. Why? Because inside of us is this built-in desire for more. We see somebody who is excelling and part of our human pride says, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to be that person. I want to have that gifting. I want to have that responsibility. I want to be drawn towards that. There's nothing wrong with us fulfilling the role God gives us. There's nothing wrong with us saying, God has given me this and this is my portion and I'm content with that because my creator knows my frame. He's mindful that I am but dust. He knows that I can't handle a different level of responsibility than what I have. He's given me what he designed me to have and that's okay. Maybe you're a one-talent person. Maybe you're a two-talent person. Maybe you're a five-talent person. What we're gonna see is it's not the quantity of the talent. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with what God has given you. You're saying, well, what are these talents? Let me give you some categories to think about. Really three categories you can think about in terms of the talents that God gives us as believers. There's spiritual responsibility in the whole realm of spiritual responsibility. Mark down Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where God says this, that he gave some to the church as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. That God gives different people different roles within the church And that's perfectly designed. Some are called to lead and some are called to support that leadership. Some are called to organize it. Some are called to be attending in it and faithful and supportive. All kinds of different roles that God gifts to us in the church to be stewards of. There's spiritual responsibility. Alongside that, there's spiritual gifts. Romans 12, verse four and following says, for just as we have many members of one body and all members do not have the same function, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Verse six says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We all have different gifts. God sews this body together in the most amazing way. Even in this room, there are those who function as hearts, those who function as lungs, those who function as eyes and ears and mouth and sinew and bone and muscle everything that the body needs for healthy development brought together in a way that only Christ can do to assemble his church. That's why when you're not functioning at the capacity that you can and should, the whole body suffers because the body's designed by Christ to work together, gifted in specific ways. And when everyone fills their role, the church functions in the way that it can and should. Don't envy somebody else's gifts. Use what you've been given. God gives us spiritual responsibilities. He gives us spiritual gifts. Something else he gives us too is spiritual knowledge. You understand that part of the talents that God hands to you every single week is the teaching of his word. 
You understand that part of what God gives to you in gifting to you is giving you himself in explaining and unfolding his word. He's put a spirit inside of you to help understand and implement it. But he gives you his word and gives you the capacity to grow and learn and grow deeper in your knowledge of him. 1 John 1.16 says, speaking of Christ, for of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, like the rolling of the tide or the waves that come against the shore, just one layer of grace after another that rolls into our life as the word of God is read by you, is memorized by you, is taught and heard by you and implemented in your life day by day. All of that is part of what God gives to us to give us opportunity to serve him more. Then on top of that, you add all the blessings of life whether it's financial capacity, whether it's intelligence, whether it's wisdom and strategy, whether it's your gift capability, your hospitality, your love, all those other elements that God gives to us comprise the talents that we receive that we have a stewardship of. You take all that together and you can see how much God has entrusted to us. We are overflowing with opportunity, overflowing with God's giftedness that he pours into us. It's such a privilege and such a great stewardship. But let's see what happens to these individuals. Verse 16 tells us, immediately. That's an amazing word. You know what it means? Well, if you're a parent, you know what it means. Because you look at your kids and you say, clean your room. And what do you mean by that? A good 20 minutes later, right? Not a chance. It's immediately, urgency, that you do this now. So the, these two slaves, the first one who has five and the second one who has two, immediately take what they've been given and they get to work with it. They're not trying to run out the clock, wait till the last minute, make a magical investment and then have something to show the master when he returns. They take the responsibility they're given. They're taking the stewardship that they have so seriously that the minute it hits their hands, they turn around and get to work with it. Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. The same manner, the one who received two talents gained two more. They began to trade. The wording indicates a repeated process. It wasn't just a one-time magical deal, but they set about a strategy to take what they had been given and multiply it and build it and grow it and protect it and cultivate it. What you notice about both of those individuals is they received a 100% return. They doubled what they had been given. It doesn't say what they invested in. The point is that they had this incredible result, both exerting the same amount of faithfulness. That's critical. You got to catch that. The same amount of faithfulness yielding different results. And that's okay. That's all right. When we stand before Christ, he's not going to look at us and say, this is a super Christian because they did all this work and this is a mediocre Christian because they did all the work. He's going to look at the faithfulness How did we obey? How did we yield ourselves to his commands? How do we put into practice what he gave us to do? How do we steward the gifts he has given to us? God controls the fruit. We control the faithfulness, the faithfulness. But look at verse 18. The one who had received one talent went away and dug a hole at the ground and hid his master's money. See, that is the strangest thing to do. In the day, digging a hole in the ground was the lockbox. You memorize the spot where you buried it and you put it there. And The focus here is not the location, it's the intention. 
it's that he had zero intention of doing anything with the gifts he had been, been entrusted with. Zero intention. It's one thing to be entrusted with great worth. It's another thing to keep it from everyone else. You can see why the master is so angry with him. It's like Christ says in Matthew chapter five, where he talks about those who are the light of the world and you put that light under a bushel, you cover the light and make it irrelevant. You don't do that. You put that light on the lampstand so that the whole world can see it. This is the, the slave who looks at everything that God gives, everything that God offers, looks at all of it and sees no value in it, sees no purpose in it. This is the heart of pride that sits in the church like a spiritual parasite, always consuming but never contributing, always absorbing, never serving, always taking but never turning from sin and turning to Christ in repentance. But catch this, the master still gave him something. The master still entrusted an opportunity to him, still gave him the chance. The master knew this person's character, but still gave him an opportunity. Who is Christ speaking to initially? Who's who's in this room? Remember I said it's the disciples and which one of the disciples could Christ be specifically talking about here? Remember it was Judas who betrayed Christ. It was Judas who demonstrated the heart of an unrepentant person who hated Christ and only used him to get wealth and nothing really at that but yet Christ still let him in the room. Christ still let him see all the spiritual blessings and all the benefits and all the teaching. Christ still held him close and gave him opportunity. But yet Judas, just like this slave, saw everything that Christ had, saw all the goodness, all the blessings, all the giftedness and did nothing with it. We'll look at how it all resolves itself. Verse 19 Now, after a long time, the master of the slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who received five talents came and brought the five more. And master says, master, see that you've entrusted me with five talents. See what I've gained five more. And the master says to him, verse 21, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He says the same thing to the one who had multiplied the two into two more, now has four. Catch the words he says, he affirms them. He says, you good and faithful slave. Good is the character, faithful is the conduct. Good describes the heart of one who has yielded themselves to Christ, who's repented of sin, who believes in Jesus alone for salvation. He speaks to their heart and says, this is who you are, you're good. And faithful describes their action. Faithful describes how they function. Faithful is a word for something that takes place regardless of the circumstances around it regardless of the response you get. It's so easy to be faithful when there's affirmation that follows right afterwards, isn't it? But it is Herculean to be faithful when the response you get is animosity. Some of you know that just by being in this room. You're faithful to be a part of a loving family of Christ and you go home to an environment that sees no value in what you just did. Some of you work in a context like that where you sacrifice time and potential raises and opportunity to be a part of events with the family of Christ, to serve others. You sacrifice time to pray for others and meet their needs. And the response you get is degrading. God calls us to be faithful. 
Faithful in the face of adversity, faithful in the face of those who disparage it, faithful in the face of those who are even just simply completely unconcerned about it. Faithful when no one's looking, faithful when there's no personal gain, faithful when only God will see. Only God will see. The response that the master gives to these two slaves is amazing. Look at verse 21. He says, I'll put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of your master. I'll put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of your master. He says, not only is what you did incredible in your faithfulness that resulted in fruit, but there is a home for you. There is a place for you in heaven. There is a joyful celebration that will surround you as you enter the presence of Christ. And there'll be increased responsibility because you demonstrate responsibility with the little that you were given. Well, verse 24, we now address the one who threw away this opportunity. And to the one talent person, this person comes to the master and starts with an accusation. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and went and hid your town on the ground. See, what you have is yours. And the voice of the words there, as if he's throwing the money back at him and say, you have what's yours, leave me alone. What he says in those words is not a statement of truth, but a statement of false accusation against the master. He's trying to excuse his lazy and arrogant behavior based upon what he believes about the master. It's like when a child may look at you and say, you don't really love me. And as a parent, there's, it's all you can do to bite your tongue and not state back to them, we gave birth to you. We've paid every bill for you. We changed your diapers. Every time you were hurt, we picked you up. We helped you go to school. We, helped, we did your project. <laughs> you don't love me. You gave me lima beans instead of ice cream. Like, guess what? You're eating lima beans for life. <laughs> it's like the children of Israel. They get into the wilderness and they say, you brought us out here to die. And God says, okay, sure. And that's what happened, right? Uh, here they are. Here's a slave looking at the master saying, you wicked. Or looking at the master saying, I need to be a hard man. You reap where you did not sow and gather where you scattered no seed. It's a charge that makes no sense. The master responds and says, you wicked, lazy slave. Contrast that to good and faithful. Wicked is the character, lazy is the conduct. Wicked is who you are, the heart. Lazy is what you do with that heart. It exposes the actions. This is Jesus saying to the person, looks at Jesus and says, you hate me. And Jesus looks at them and says, I left heaven for you. I came to earth for you. I was born as a slave, the most despised person on earth for you. I lived a sinless life for you. I endured all the persecution around the cross for you. I gave up my life on the cross for you. I rose from the grave for you. I sit in heaven interceding, sending the message of the gospel to you. I've given you my word. And you say, I hate you? It makes no sense. How could a slave who's been handed a, a talent of wealth, sure, it's not five, but who cares? It's not the number. It's that you've been entrusted with this. You've been given the opportunity. How could you look at the one who gives it to you and say, you're a hard man? So the master repeats back to the slave those statements that were made about him and says, 
If that was true, if that, if that was true, you'd have put that money in the bank. If you really thought that about me, you would have at least put it in the bank where it could gain some minimal interest and demonstrate that you're at least somewhat fearful of me, if those things were true. But the master then, verse 28, says, take the talent away from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents. What you have, you will be taken away from you. The opportunity you've been given, what's been invested in you, you will utterly lose. You have this incredible parable and the principle Christ saves to the end. He puts it here in verse 29. For everyone who has, more shall be given and you'll have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. He says, listen, You've been given not only the spiritual responsibilities, the spiritual gifts, you've been given the spiritual knowledge of God's word. On top of that, you've been given all this abundance of life. You've been given wealth. You've been given the opportunity, the power, the influence in different work spheres. You've been given all of that. And if you don't use it in a way that demonstrates a heart that's been yielded to Christ, you'll not only lose the gifting, but you'll demonstrate a heart that had no regard for Christ in the first place. That's why verse 30 is so stern. It says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are words that's used for hell. He's saying that that slave who had opportunity and never did anything with it is the one who attends everything to do with church, who shows up at all the spiritual functions, who's associated with all the elements just like Judas was but has no regard for Christ. No regard for Christ. The moral of the story is the more we pour out, the more Christ pours in. The more we use what he's given us, those of us who are Christians, those, the, more he's given, we, the more we use what he's given to us to advance his kingdom, the more he pours into us. We can never outgive Christ. You say, how does that work? I think... Christ answered it well in Luke chapter six, verse 35. He says this, love your enemies and do good. Lend and expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. He's saying love those who have no capacity to love you back. Forgive those who have no understanding of what it is to be forgiven. Give of yourself in the way he's given to us, not forgetting that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God loved us and demonstrated his love for us when he gave up his own life. Our part is to invest in others. And what God does, he says in Luke chapter six, verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour you into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For your, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. He's saying, you cannot outgive me, folks. You can't outgive me. I happen to own the universe. I made everything and I am giving it to you in different portions. And your responsibility is to invest it in a way that advances the kingdom of Christ. We'll never exhaust his supply of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll never be able to outgive his mercy to others. We'll never be able to outgive his grace to others. All of this is part of the way that Christ explains his parable, saying that there are those in the church that he entrusts different measures to. 
and we have this responsibility to give it away. I think when you glance back at this, you see these three slaves and maybe there's a lesson we can pull from each one, sort of a purpose statement here we can pull from each slave. Let me give you just three quick thoughts here, one for each slave. I think from slave number one, we learn that God blesses faithfulness, not fruitfulness. We focus on being faithful. God controls the results. That's so encouraging to me. That takes all the pressure off that I don't have to stand before God and show him all the things I've done. In fact, the only person who stands before God and says, look what I did in Matthew 7 is the one who's relying on works for salvation and not God's grace. God blesses faithfulness. We diligently invest God's gifts in others. Jesus celebrates the, Jesus never celebrates the results. He celebrates the efforts. Listen, isn't that what Christ did for us? He gave entirely of himself to us. Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivers him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? He gives us his grace. He gives us full authority to invest that grace in other people. He gives us our wealth. He gives us our capacity and he gives us full authority to pour that into others, into his ministry and beyond. God blesses faithfulness not fruitfulness. Second, a lesson from slave number two, God gives his gifts perfectly. God gives his gifts perfectly. What God has entrusted to you is custom designed for you and not me or anyone else. What God has given to you in terms of spiritual responsibility, authority, gifting, wealth, any level of that is specifically designed for you. Don't wrestle with it, embrace it. One of the most comforting Psalms is Psalm 84, verse 11 says this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That should be such a comfort to you that if we walk uprightly, then God has given us everything he intends to give to us at this point and that's okay. That's good. You may say, I I don't know how to pay these bills. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how to raise this kid. And I certainly don't know how to be married. I'm working through all the challenges of life. Okay. But day by day, you open your eyes, you open the word, the spirit dwells in you and he is giving us grace to go through the trials of life one day at a time. He's gifted you perfectly the way you are right now if you walk uprightly in him. Along with that Hebrews 13, 5, it says, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. You may be a one-talent person. You may be a two-talent person. You may be a five-talent person. Whatever it is, be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Desert means that you stay here and he walks away. And forsake means that he stays here and he shoves you away. He says, I'll never do either of those to you. I will never desert you and I will never forsake you. Your affections are not attached to the wealth I've given you, not attached to the talents I've surrounded your life and given to you. Your affections are attached to me as your Lord and Savior. That's why Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations chapter three could say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. He's everything to me. You take all the stuff of life away. Even if I gave it all away, the Lord is my portion. You may say, how can I be a double-yielded Christian? How can I have somebody who yields the result of two talents on top of two I've given or five on top of the five I've given? You know one of the fastest ways to do that? 
is tell somebody about Jesus. That's the fastest way. You watch Christ save somebody, now instead of just you showing compassion, you got two people showing compassion. Instead of just one person showing kindness, you got two people showing kindness. You watch how Christ multiplies exponentially his power to change others and his love for this world when you see people come to Christ. There's a lesson from the third slave. And that's don't miss the opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity. There may be some here today who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. There may be some today who see everything that Christ offers, who hear the message of hope, who hear the message of God's forgiveness, but have yet to repent. Paul says this in Romans 2.4. He says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It was the master's kindness to give to that one talent slave the gift that he gave. Just as it is Christ's kindness today to give the knowledge of his saving gospel to everyone here. The question from this whole parable is how will you use what God's given to you? How will you invest what he's given to you? Christ summed it up like this in Matthew 6, verse 19 and following. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure's with the Lord and we celebrate what he does with what is already his. Pray with me.